This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. There may be tears, triggers, laughter, some learning, some profanity. So you've been warned, make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax as I'm joined by Vendra and she's decided to share some secrets with us today. Welcome Vendra. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. You are a clinician who works in Canberra. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about about your business model? So my business model um, is a range of things. I guess I'm exploring what that looks like. And the reason for that is because I've had to pack up my business and start again in Canberra almost 12 months ago. From where? So from South Australia. South Australia? Yes. Whereabouts in South Australia? So the lovely Adelaide Hills and Harndorf, where the Beerenberg Strawberry Farm is. I used to live in Turingi. <laughs> there you go. We could have been neighbours. <laughs> we could have been. I used to go up to Harndorf quite often. Yes, it's yeah, not far it's away. It's beautiful. But they, they were the only place I've ever been able to buy clotted cream fudge in Australia. Is that right? Yes. I haven't even had that yet. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've moved from Harndorf. You've come all the way over to somewhere that's a bit chillier. Nice yes. and dry climate still, though. Yes. And you've set up business here. Mm. What What drove that change? Uh, it was a number of things, actually. So, you know, family issues. There was um, a need to be in a different environment, you know. Mm. So we'd been in Adelaide a really long time and it had reached its shelf life mm. um, and just wanting new opportunities for everybody, yeah. I think. Yeah. So what's your business doing now? So now I work with individuals. I work with teams and organisations across Canberra and it's all about health mental health and well-being for everybody. Mental health and well-being for everyone. Mm. So you're working with different providers as well as the clients? Yes, that's right. So a bit of a middleman? A bit of a middleman sometimes. Um, When I work with individuals, that's the direct front-facing work. Okay. So we we met met through a group that we both go to and you were talking about the NDIS which is a service, sort of a government-provided service in Australia. Can you tell us what the NDIS is? So the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and this is a place where people living with disabilities can now access a form of funding to lead an independent life of their choice. Okay. So is this just physical disabilities or also um, um, learning disabilities and things like that as well? So disabilities through a number of categories and, you know, that might be physical. It Mm. might be um, mental health related, psychosocial related. It literally could be anything. Okay. So anything that that, um, sort of disadvantages somebody living in in the community in a normal way. Yes, that's right. So where they might have a limited choice, limited control over what happens in their everyday life. So that could be independent living skills. So what home do they live in? How do they live in that home every day, cooking, showering? Mm. Okay, okay. So there's the, the, the services you provide are specifically around the mental health side of that. That's right. So individual skills building and mentoring really cover off a lot of what I do in that space. 
Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Can you give us an example of of a particular of a particular um, case that you're working on, without obviously giving too much away? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's really interesting. I love this space because I never know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, you can do all the planning that you like, um, but yeah, all kinds of things happen in that space. Yeah. I guess one of the important things to remember with the NDIS is that you're often working with a team of other service providers as well. Okay. So, um, you know, there's some interesting interactions and communication styles that need to take place there too Mm. so that the client gets the best outcome. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I really enjoy working with clients on is around nutrition, for example, so how they would prepare their meals and upskilling them, you know, and, and the fun aspect, the sensory aspect of yes. doing that. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean by the sensory aspect of that? So food, I know a lot of people are kind of in two minds around food, you know, food for survival as opposed to food for enjoyment. Mm. Okay. And in this space, food can be a real go-to in terms of something that makes clients feel good about themselves, about where they live, you know. So, so the sort of sense of achievement, being able to prepare own, their own meals. Yes, and also share that with other family members, for example. They might not have ever cooked another meal before for themselves, let alone shared that with their family members. Right. Who can come into the room and go, wow, this is amazing. Right. It can be as simple as... Bangers and mash. Bangers and mash. I always remember as a child, um, my mum taught me how to make spaghetti bolognese and... For the first, you know, this is going back a few years, but, you know, those, yeah. whenever I cooked a cooked dinner for people, um, whether it was, you know, like a boyfriend mm. or, or or family friends or anything like that, I always did spag bowl and <laughs> it was always the favourite thing. So I kind of get an yeah. understanding of, of that sense of achievement of mm. actually, you know, putting everything in the pot and then serving it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's such a, it might seem simple to you or I, you know, we might mm. almost take that for granted. Mm. But for someone that might not have someone say, hey, you did a good job every day of their life, that is quite a significant achievement. Yes. Wow. Wow. So how did you find yourself working in this space? It's a really interesting journey and it was an unplanned one, I guess. Mm. <laughs> As, you know, Aren't they, they the best? Are. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't the unplanned ones always the best? Yes. yes. You know, I remember at 17 having no idea what I was going to do and the first job that I actually got was in the um, correctional services area. Now, as a 17-year-old, it's quite confronting to be working in that area mm. um, and, you know, have transitioned through, you know, as a PA you know, or a secretary, Mm. um, worked in cancer and clinical research. Okay. Um, But mostly it's been around problem solving and um, organisational change, you know, bringing people together for a common agenda and getting them to behave in all kinds of new ways around that. Yeah. And you started in that when you were 17? Yes, I did really. You know, just um, talking to people comes quite naturally Mm. to me Mm. um, and listening to people even more importantly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, in 2015, after working in community services for about two years, I decided that I needed to do this on my own. Yeah. Okay. So community services, what was, you know, what was that? Was that sort of doing in-home help? Was it working in a in a hostel or a home or...? Working for a, a community-based organisation okay. and really around business development and program development. So that meant, for example, a life skills program 
which was a website, a mobile app, and over a thousand resources that were developed for that particular project. Mm, okay. When you say life skills, what sort of about is, is that where the cooking comes in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's things like doing the washing and going yep. shopping and yeah, the, the, the laundry. Yeah, all so of those things. Real things that we take for granted. Yes. Yeah. And there's a real trick to that. I mean, that is a, they're all skills that we can learn and I'm not sure that everybody understands that we can all learn them at different times of our lives. Mm. And the nature of how we learn them can be quite different. Mm. And I guess one important thing to remember for people in the NDIS is a lot of their learning is educational or instructional. Mm. It's not being provided in terms of maybe a parenting model you know, maybe siblings, you know, it's much more structured. It can mm. be more stressful. Right. And it needs more time. Wow, okay. So it needs more time because? Um, it could be due to the nature of the disability. Mm. Um, it could be due to the nature of the environment. So if people are living in their own homes as opposed to group homes. Mm. Mm. Okay. So being taught how to do the washing in a in a sort of, We'll use the word normal, even though we know there is no normal. Mm. But in the classic sense, mum and dad would do, or mum would do the washing. The mm. children might help. The children might help do the folding up. The children might help putting it away. Yes. When you're talking about clients not having that kind of model to learn from in their early lives. Yeah. And, you know, okay. my sense or my observation really around that is that the problems, you know, I don't like, really like that word, but the system recognises the problems. The point of care centres on the problems, mm. but all of the other peripheral skills that are needed to make those problems better, for want of a better phrase, yes, just don't exist. Yes. So it's just the really simple things that a lot of people take for granted. Mm. Some people just have never had the opportunity to learn how to do those things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So you're helping people with those skills. Yes, in that yep. space I do. What sort of effect does it have on people for their mental health when they don't know how to or they don't have the, the learnings around these normal life skills? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because it's more than just the client being affected. So there are roll-on effects for the family, mm. which can lead to dysfunction. Mm. You know, it can lead to frustration, resentment in family because perhaps the client is not doing what they expect mm. or in expected ways. Mm. But when the client is actually doing this, and I've had some really great moments lately um, their sense of achievement, I've actually seen a client, you know, j jumping up and down because they're so happy. Because they've done... Something amazing yes. and in a controlled way. Yes. Um, what was that amazing thing that they did? So it was just touching something and being able to participate in, you know, again, what we would take for granted, a normal yeah. experience of going to visit somewhere. Yes. And, and, you know, use their senses to do that. Wow. You know, without kind of being restricted all the time, they had the freedom to just do it as they wanted to. 
and they were just jumping up and down. It was just so delightful. I actually laughed, you know, and I wasn't laughing at them, but I was just kind of had my hands up to my face going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. So you were as excited as they were because they were doing this thing for the first time. Yep. So something that, you know, I would do fairly regularly, which would be going to the National Gallery and looking at the paintings, that and I just sort of go in and it's just a thing that I do. Yeah. But for this person, doing something like that is a huge achievement. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. And that happiness lasted the rest of the day. Fantastic. You know, but it did more than that. It opened the conversation after that event. So the Mm. conversation that we had after that about what was going on in their lives Mm. was much more open. Right. So you'd sort of really opened that door and you'd let them walk through it. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. So how does this work? So I would imagine you, you you deal with a lot of very sort of diverse people within your within your practice. What sort of effects do these people have on you? You've just mentioned that huge excitement, but what are, are there ups and downs with the clients that you deal with? Yeah, look, there there are ups and downs. And I guess the, the downs are not usually anything to do with the client. It's around the systems that support them or don't support them. Yes. Um, You know, it's about um, maybe their needs haven't been met in the way that they would like to have them met. Mm. Maybe they don't really have the choice and control that's being touted Mm. um, under the support systems being offered. Mm. So some of these clients would be quite complex and they might have up to a dozen different service providers. Yeah. You're just a very small piece in that puzzle. Absolutely. You can't be everything to a particular client. And one of those other service providers or many service providers may be letting that, maybe letting that client down because of the way the system is set up. Is that's that right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it could be, you know, funding limitations. It could be actually service provision limitations. Um, it could be time factors. You know, mm. there's a whole range of reasons why failures happen in this space. Mm. I mean, I guess, I mean, I live for the the ups. You know, when I see a client actually doing something on their own. Um, so recently I had a conversation because I noticed a client's pants were loose and they were often falling down okay. and they were wearing a belt. And I said, you know, um, I notice your belt's a bit loose and they've said, oh, yeah, I keep meaning to go and get a new hole, but I don't know where to get that done. So we had a bit of a chat and then two weeks later um, taps me on the shoulder and says, oh, I just want to let you know I had the hole in. I said, oh, how'd it go? Where'd you go? Went to the place that we'd suggested and said, oh, yeah, they told me to put my wallet away. I didn't need to pay. It was awesome. Look at this. And, you know, pants weren't falling down anymore. <laughs> but, you know, that was a very normal thing, typical thing for, for you or I. But, yeah. yeah, for that client, it was something major that they remembered to do and yes. they felt good about. Yeah, it's just such a simple thing that made somebody so happy. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. How do you deal with when you do have a, a client who is really being let down by the system? <clears throat> what goes on for you? In that moment, when you are in a position where you really can't help anymore, but you can see somebody's really being let down. Yeah. And, you know, I think as professionals, we might all struggle with this at times. Mm. And I guess you have to ask yourself a lot of questions around um, 
what it is you want to do. Mm. You know, what can you actually do and what it is you want to do. Mm. And for me, that's going to be centred around the values that I embody around my service provision. Mm. Which are? Well, which are, you know, are things about being able to be free to choose how we do this. Mm. You know, so choosing the time choosing, you know, the mode that we do it in, you know, I offer, you know, it's phone, it could be in person, it could be here, it could be at their home. Mm. Um, But more than that, it's around the language, you know, so being respectful, you know, you can challenge people and you can be directive, but you can also be respectful. Mm. Um, And, you know, really doing this in a a partnership with people. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I just don't do that. Mm. But I'm going to ask you a lot of interesting questions so that you can tell and decide what you want to do. Yes. Yeah. So you give you give people the agency within the framework of what of what you can do. Yes. Yeah. And when somebody is being failed by other by others, Mm. what goes on for you in that moment? It's hard. Mm. Yeah, it's really tough because you, you know, just like those um, that the oath a doctor would take around the duty of care, yes. you, you do have that duty of care even if you're working with a team of professionals. Mm. So at some point you're going to have to notify or raise the concern um, to be able to feel good about the services that you continue to provide. Mm. Now, that might really piss some people off, but for me, I can't do it any other way. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be truthful to your own truth and yes. your, to, your own, to your own sense of self and your service that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, it's about the client at the end of the day. I mm-hmm. want them not to be failed. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there might always be some form of failure in these types of relationships mm. Mm. But we want to minimise that as much as possible. And ultimately you are dealing with vulnerable people. Yes. They don't need any more failure. They don't need any. They don't need anything <laughs> else thrown at them. No, not yeah, at all. Not at all. So you're doing the best that you can. Yes. So what does your life look like outside of being this service provider and therapist in this space? <laughs> <laughs> you ask me the hard questions. Who, yeah. Who, or is this it? No, this is definitely no, no. not it. <laughs> Look, there are some things and, you know, um, it's been busy times. Mm. Uh, having to start a business from scratch, not knowing anybody here mm. has taken an enormous amount of energy. But mm. outside of this, I have um, a partner yes, um, and I have children and I have a keen interest in photography. So that's taken me all over Canberra and New South Wales, which is very exciting. Yes, we, so, we are very lucky. How many how many photographs of the sunset do you have? A lot, <laughs> thousands. <laughs> so so those so those of you that that uh, aren't aware of of Canberra. The one thing that we do really, really well <laughs> is sunsets. Yeah, especially over the lake. Yes. With the mountains in the background, that's been and a favourite too. Tower. Telstra Tower. <laughs> Absolutely. And the Carillion. <laughs> yes, yeah. that one too. That's all the beautiful colours as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we really know how to we know how to turn the lights on at sunset. Yes. Yeah. You do. So photography? What else do you do you get find yourself getting up to? Um, going to places that we probably, you know, shouldn't be in. So we like to travel to abandoned buildings, you know, a keen sense of history for myself and I'm fascinated in the, you know, the mental health, um, yeah. you know, those abandoned asylums. Yeah, they're amazing Children's places. homes. 
Yeah. Are there many of those in Canberra? Uh, in New South Wales, we've been okay. to a few. Okay. Yes. Big so fences up that say do not enter and we're just like, we're just going to be a little a little bit. We're not doing anything <laughs> naughty. <laughs> Except for ignoring the no enter sign. That's right. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Maybe, maybe you'd be willing to share a couple of those pictures for the blog? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be amazing. So some of them get like, a chance, yeah. Yeah, they, they just look, you know, there's curtains, there's old washing machines that are still there, belongings are still there. It's just like they've got up and left. Yeah, disappeared. Fantastic. Yeah. So they're just not, they're not empty buildings, they've just got that that history in them still. Yeah. Yep. Do you find yourself telling telling stories about what could have happened in that room or that room? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think a few of the places we've been to uh, in Australia, so Tasmania, for example, to Port Arthur, yes, where all of that history is written for you so you're able to read it, yeah. you know, that fuels your imagination. Did you go into the circular prison when you were at Port Arthur? Yes. What I'm, I'm curious because I had my own experience. I went there in October in 2018 and I'd walked around Port Arthur um, and I went to the circular, the, which, so for those that don't know, Port Arthur is a historical site. It's also the site where we had our, our mass, mm. our mass shooting, um, which is when we did gun control properly. Um, we, the, it's a historical site. There's nothing else in Port Arthur except for the historical site and a few, a few houses, but they have the, the prison for the prisoners is the circular prison. And it's in, it's a white painted building <laughs> in a circle what went on for you when you went into that building? So I'm really intuitive and whenever I go into buildings like this, lots of different things have happened to me. So mm. I get a sense of fear. I might have a sense of a presence, mm. you know, um, or some other emotion where I have to leave the place I'm standing or actually exit the building. Yeah, and you had to exit that building? Had to exit that building. Yeah, I think I lasted about four minutes in there. Before yep. I had to leave, it was a like of all of the, all the buildings in the entire mm. place. That was that was just the sense. I, I walked in and and the hairs on the backs of my neck yep. stood up and the backs of my arms went up, and then I found I found myself almost going into wasn't the closest I can think of is like a panic attack. Yes, the the sense of claustrophobia of being in those tiny little mm-hmm. cells, and you know just all day and then being put into those sort of like those sort of triangular yards that yes. had nothing in them was actually quite quite amazing but yeah I had to leave too yeah quick exit yeah. you know felt sick nauseous yeah you know and after reading about what happened in there you know the pain mm. and the torture yeah and the church so that Did church, you see the yes. church bit, the, 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 the chapel? The individual in corral. So this is not sitting on a, you know, the long bench mm. seats in the church. Every individual prisoner had their own little corral. So they Where they had to look forward. Yeah, no at, other. At the preacher. And you could only see the preacher and the guards on either side of the preacher from your little cubicle. Yeah. And what was it, something like three hours every day was yes. spent in the church being preached at? Because they thought that if they could take on, you know, God and those theories, they'd be reformed. They'd be reformed, yeah. 
Yeah. And um, they could be in there for up to three months in solitary confinement. At least, yeah. if not longer. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, we know now that solitary confinement is actually one of the worst things that you can do for Crazy people. Crazy making, yeah. Crazy making. So yeah, oh well. So I'm I'm fascinated that you that, that you had a very similar experience. I thought it was just me. Yeah, look, I have so place. many stories. Um, you know, uh, I guess um, one of the other ones was where we went into the doctor's quarters, and my husband and I were at the end, so we were going in last. Yes. And I could hear behind us, and I thought it was my husband calling out, and we heard shuffling. And, yeah, it was just, yeah, there's some, some interesting things on mm. that one. But every building we've been to, we've had an experience. So lots because of you're open to it, do you think? I think so, you know. I mean, I when I meet people, I'm very intuitive. I can generally kind of assess where they're at, how they're feeling. Mm. I don't usually have to ask many questions. Um, so I'm sensitive to, I think, the emotional energy um, and I think there's a lot of emotional energy connected with being in spaces. Mm. And if that's traumatic, I, th- I really do believe that sticks. Mm. Mm. I, was, um, I was doing supervision with somebody the other day and she was asking me about, she asked me about the spirituality and, you know, she felt like her room had negative energies after mm. some clients. And I asked her if she smudged Mm, okay, yeah. And she was like, smudge, smudge. So I told her about the idea of smudging and, mm. you know, thanking the room for its, you know, for its energy and its, you know, but we need to start anew and start afresh now. And she was like, oh, my God, it's an amazing idea. Where do you get? So I told her, you know, get yourself some white sage and this is how you do yes. it. And she contacted me a little while later and went, I smudged the room. I said, how did it go? She was, she said, my clients are coming in, she said, and they're they're all much calmer. <laughs> it was a really interesting process that it was just such a simple thing mm. that she had picked up on mm. that, that that clients were that, that clients were picking up an energy that she had no idea was in the room. She just thought something was wrong. Yeah, and you know, clients do bring energy, and it does get transferred not only to yourself. It mm. can be if you're vulnerable, more so, mm. um, but it also gets transferred to the objects in the room. Mm. You know, I've had that here. So we've had one day where there was a little bit of a, a challenging time, a confrontation, mm. and then the next client that came in, which is quite quiet, was very uncomfortable. I noticed, you know, lots of fidgeting and mm. things that she wouldn't usually do. Mm. Um, but I, I really do believe that energy, because she was sensitive to it also, mm. um, she was able to pick that up. Mm. I had a client actually the other day who said, I've just bought this amazing, amazing place. But when I when I went to see it, yeah. in, the mid, in the master bedroom, there was this doll on the bed. And it was one of those, you know, those China dolls that if you pull the arms, it's they're attached by elastics. And she said the energy that this doll had was she said like she said I couldn't even walk into the room. Oh goodness. Sounds like Monte Cristo. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was and I just said, oh okay. And, you know, so we sort of processed it and what was going on for her and it revealed sort of like stuff of, you know, her grandmother mm-hmm. who hadn't been very nice to her and all sorts of things. It was a really interesting session. But I think she's probably gonna smudge too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's 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 definitely a there's definitely um, 
there's definitely energy in in spaces. There are. There yeah. really are. And if you're sensitive to it, you've just got to remember to manage that energy as well. Hmm. How do you manage your energy? <laughs> um, so I guess I'm a lot more aware of it more recently. So, you know, working really long hours, more so than I've done before. Mm. Um, and also um, recently I've had been unwell, so I was really aware of that energy. When I'm feeling low now, I don't push myself past that point of, I guess, you know, being at risk of burnout or Mm. overwhelm. Mm. I actually take a step back. Um, It's funny because when my husband and I are sitting down and I'm not speaking, he's like, are you okay? Because, you know, he knows that's a downtime. Um, so if I'm not talking now, you know, he knows, okay, maybe I need to ask if she's okay and we'll go and do something. Yeah. Um, I also have a dog and dogs are brilliant for mm. giving you back energy. What's your dog called? So my dog is called Dash. Dash? And what sort of dog is Dash? He is a um, crossbreed, you know, all kinds of bits and bobs. Yeah. Yeah. But he's uh, a mottled colour. He's absolutely gorgeous, solid, solid yes. boy. Yeah. So when he launches himself at you, you, you know about it. Um, he's about probably 15 to 20 kilos, so no lap dog, but, you know, tries. But likes to be. Tries to be, that's yeah. right. But I get, I guess, re-energised by people and those types of interactions. So I sit mm. with him for five minutes where he's, you know, being a... Uh, licking me all over the face or something, you yeah. know, and that just makes you smile and that's re-energising. Because he's so happy to see you. Yeah, that's right. That kind of true, unconditional, you know, he's been alone all day. He's happy to have that interaction as well. Do you walk with Dash? Uh, he's housebound at the moment. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that again soon. Yeah. What's happened? What's Why is he housebound? Uh, so he's just got some hip problems oh. and things, so we just want to make sure. And he's got yeah, a bit of extra him. weight on as well, so mm. trying not to let him jump, but he's very bouncy. It's very difficult to, it is. when they're so excited to see you. That's it, and also because he likes to play fetch with a, a very big, heavy, hard ball that you know about it when it falls on your toes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and that's the standard state of play when you walk in the door. Yeah. So you have to do that for at least ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a Chihuahua that's similar, but she uh, she has very small toys and they're usually soft. Yes. <laughs> Big difference, especially being cold lately. You know, when that ball's dropped on my toes, it hurts twice as much. Yeah. Yeah, cold toes and pressure don't mix, do they? <laughs> they, don't. they don't mix. They don't they mix at don't all. Mix at all. No. So yeah, re-energized by people. Mm. Mm. So apart from apart from Dash and the photography and breaking into abandoned buildings <laughs> when you when you have the opportunity to, is there anything else that you do that really re-energizes you? I like to write. Um, So I've written a lot about my life. Mm. Um, In recent times I have been requesting hospital records, for example, to put my life together um, because I don't have that kind of timeline maybe that everybody else has. Yes, Um, okay. So that's been an interesting process. Um, um, I guess I might have, you know, ancestry around Sherlock Holmes because I like solving mysteries. Yes. And I'm able to do that really well. Yeah, and by the sounds of things, you'd be a great private eye breaking into buildings. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you don't get caught. 
Only if you don't get caught. Have you ever been caught? We haven't yet. So um, not in terms of the um, buildings with the big fences, but we were caught by a farmer one day. He came (laughs) down on his, you know, quad bike thing with his, you know, seven dogs and said, what are you doing here? So you were in one of those little farmhouses that was on the edge of a property somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Just kind of jumped the rickety fence and just took some photographs. But once we explained, he saw the cameras in our hand. We both looked like responsible people and he was quite chilled. So, (laughs) but when you see that coming up the hill with the seven dogs... And, yeah, you just give a nervous yell to your husband and he's big, he's bigger than I am, so that's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> so that responsible adult works for you sometimes? Sometimes. Yeah. As long as I look like that, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> but are you prepared to run if you have to? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You get out of there quick, hold on to the cameras, don't leave anything behind or anyone behind. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. I was on a boat once Um a friend of mine said, we're going to go for a harbour cruise. And I had this picture in my head of, you know, a very sort of sedate cruise in Sydney. This is going back about 12 or, 12 or so years ago. And I arrived with my camera and all my all my, mm-hmm. all my kit and it was a sailboat. And we were on this boat and I'm taking photographs and at one point somebody decided that they were going, and I'd taken some beautiful photographs, mm. And at one point somebody decided that they were going to hand over the reins to somebody who'd probably had a bottle and a half of champagne by this point oh, no. to, to the wheel. And we didn't get told. And the the, the the boat, the ship, the sail, whatever the hell we call it, yeah. just basically tipped. And I went went to go over the side and the only, all I could do was I grabbed onto one of those, um, I don't even know what it's called, the thing that you rope, put the rope round Hooked my arm, hooked my arm around it, camera in the hand. I'm hanging off the side of the boat, being buffeted by the water. Oh my goodness! The tops of my legs were black and blue. And now, whenever he says to me, "Hey, you want to go for a cruise?" I'm like, "No, oh, <laughs> you've done it for me." No, you <laughs> no. saved the camera though. Yeah, that was all that was important. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. <laughs> I didn't care about me and the fact that, you know, my, my legs were purple by the end of it. Oh, but goodness. the camera the camera even stayed dry. Well I don't know. done. Yeah, it How was, did you even do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea, but it was one of those real instant adrenaline kick in, wow. save, save myself. Yeah. But I know that I transferred the camera from my left hand into my right hand. And I don't know how. Yeah, just unconsciously. Because it was yep. like that. Snap, yeah. Yeah. Far out. Yeah, the boat just went doop, tip. Well, I'm so glad that you didn't go overboard and the yep. boat didn't go over on top of you. Well, that yeah, that was the thing because, of course, after it happened, that they they the people who owned the boat sort of took back control. It took them a little bit of time to get, get the boat back right again. But, yeah, it was... Yeah, so now it's like, well, I got, no, I don't want to go on a boat cruise, thanks. <laughs> no, I'm good. No. I'm good. Good, solid ground. It's such a shame because I hear there's so many great cruises out there. Oh, there are. There, there absolutely are. And I, I have been on I have been on the water since, good. just not on a sailboat. <laughs> Something more safe. Yeah. I, I would I would totally be with you and be, be prepared to run. I think that would be a, a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah. They'd have a very good story to tell. Yeah, I, I, I actually have done a lot of photography in, in my past. I've kind of, it's, I've let it slide, yeah. which is kind of a shame because I didn't, I do enjoy doing photography a lot, but there's so many other things that are going on. This podcast being one of them, of course. 
And I totally get that. I totally have so many, you know, vast interests. But luckily I have a husband who's also interested in photography. He's doing much better than I am at the moment because he goes out a lot more often than I yeah. do. Does he drag you along sometimes to just make sure that you're giving yourself some time away he from does. everything? He does. He's very good at that. Mm. Yeah, we're very connected in that way. So mm. um, even though we've only been together for a short time, you know, he, he gets it. Yeah. He knows that you need to... He knows that you need to step away occasionally. Yeah. So I'm guessing he doesn't work in this field as well? No, he doesn't. No. So he um, works more in a, a practical sense, I say, because he's got the skills, you know, around building and construction, all of those skills that, mm. you know, young people are not necessarily moving into those areas anymore. So it's quite a complementary yeah. match in skill sets. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, cool. So just before we, before we start to sort of wrap up today, um, I'm often asked when I sit with clients and listen to their stories, what keeps you doing this? I know what my answer is. What's yours? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's lots of things. But one of the things for me is that I guess I come from a place of uncertainty and a place where, you know, no possessions, no people, no place um, right from the beginning of my life. And to be able to move on from that, you need a sense of self-belief. Now, I've had to teach myself along the way what that means to me. I haven't necessarily had the mentors or the peer support to do that. Mm. No one in my life stands out really with regards to giving me that. Mm. So what keeps me here is the capacity for me to give that to other people so that they don't feel they have no place mm. or no possessions or, or no people. Mm. Mm. So you very much come from a place of doing it on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. from a very uh, influential age, I guess, in my teenage years. Mm. Mm. Okay. So doing it, doing, doing it tough. Yeah. Having your own struggles. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's lots of... It's such a hard time for any person, you know, there's so mm. much uncertainty, there's so much turmoil and if you don't have a safe place or a safe person, that's so much more heightened and mm. to be able to come back into a safe place that you make, mm. you know, um, really gives you an understanding of what people are dealing with out there who are part of a system that makes them feel unsafe. Mm. So a little bit like, you know, some, um, you know, people who are in the public eye have said, you know, that we don't want anyone else to feel the way that we felt, which is why we make yeah. people laugh. You're doing it because you don't want people to feel like they're on their own. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's a really important gift to give people. And even if they are on their own and isolated, even if they have one person or one conversation, you know, that's enough. Mm. Giving them that language as well. So opening up their language and their vocabulary so they can express what they need. Mm, okay, brilliant. That's a really quite a, almost a calling for you. It really is. It feels primal almost. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Quite often um, nursing is, is described as a calling rather than a career. Yes. I'm, I'm hearing that what you're doing is very much a calling for you. Yeah, I think it is. And it's funny, you know, this haphazard way that I've come to it, you know, not by any stretch of the imagination, the professional, you know, pathway that you would necessarily yeah. take. 
But yeah. I think that's worked. I think that's what gives me the edge in the space mm. because I am able to say, actually, you know what, I've been there. I've really been there. Mm. Been there, done that. I don't want you to have to do the same. Or, you know, not necessarily don't want you to have to okay. do the same, but let's talk about how maybe we can do it differently. Yeah. And I can support you through it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So just in closing, what do you think the future of mental health looks like in Australia? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think there's lots of conversations to be had and I think that one of the best ways we can challenge the notion that mental health is a medical model is to start having conversations just like we are today. Mm. There seems to be a professional monopoly around the delivery of structured health services in Australia. Mm. Alternative practices and approaches are sometimes welcomed, but most often they're not mm. because they don't satisfy necessarily the, all the evidence-based ways in which we keep up to date with practice. Mm. So let's talk to people like myself and others in this space who are actually doing things a little bit differently to build an evidence base around those alternative ways of doing things. Mm. Mm. There's not one way to fix everything. No, no. And what might yeah. work for you is not necessarily going to work for me. Mm. Um, and it might be that not one method. I might need five different ways towards the same outcome that will work for me. Mm. But, you know, we all learn differently. Everybody knows that. We all hear differently and we all speak differently. Mm. So the way that we process our experiences is going to have to be very different. Mm. Um, and I think as well, you know, we need to do this in terms of almost like a coalition structure. Let's get everybody together here. We're still working in silos, mm. you know. We're, we're not as much as things like, um, you know, working together and collectively our theories and we're doing some of the work here, I don't think we're really stretching that notion far enough. Mm. There's better ways of doing stuff. Yeah, I think we, we, we actually need to just say stop messing around here, people, like yeah. pull your fingers out and yeah. let's just do this. Mm. Yeah, well, let's just do this. This is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for having had this conversation with me today, Vendra. I want to thank Vendra for speaking to me today and sharing some of her secrets, especially her law-breaking habits. <laughs> Thanks to Nick, my podcast guy, who's going to make this sound okay at the end. Thank you to you, the listener, for subscribing, rating us and supporting us on Patreon, Secrets We Share. If you have a secret that you'd like to share and you'd love to hear yourself or your friends or family speaking, I would love to hear from you. You can email me via my website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon. 